It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. So what's going on? Welcome to the show. It is October 26th, 2020. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Well, I guess me joining you. Thanks for letting me be a part of your day. Thanks for listening to the show. And thank you to Dennis, Jonathan, Rebecca and Taylor, Yuri, LL, David, Patty, Trudy, Jean and Ben, and Alan. They all became patrons of the program. And you can as well. You go to the Show.com, you click the link, and you get exclusive content. You get the bumper stickers. We do live streams. Uh, and it supports the show, and you can choose your own level uh, that you feel comfortable supporting uh, the show and me at. I appreciate all of that. And we're always trying to find ways to you know bring value to patrons. So uh, you get access directly to me so you can send me uh, you know suggestions on stuff uh, that you'd like to see uh, folded into the package of benefits. The show is also made possible by fantastic clients, sponsors of the show like our newest Growers Hemp. Growers Hemp, based in North Carolina, created by farmers who knew that they could make small farming work for families like theirs and, at the same time, help people on their wellness journey, okay? They make CBD oil products. I mean, not just CBD oil. I use the oil. Yesterday, I ate one of the uh, the lozenges. Pretty good, like cherry-flavored, very good. And then um, they've also got balm to help with uh, you know pain and such. A better quality of life, maybe a balanced state of mind and positive mental outlook. Is this what you're looking for? Immune system resilience, a deeper sleep. That's why I take it. I take uh, a squirt from the eyedropper thing of the uh, uh, CBD oil, and I'm out. <laughs> I go to sleep, and I sleep deeper than I ever have before. Uh, maybe you want to lower your tension. Okay, whatever it is, Growers Hemp Full Spectrum Hemp Extract, uh, add it to your daily routine and discover what your reasons are. Okay, now here's the disclaimer. I've got to read this or else GovCo gets mad. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by the FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Nothing I've said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. By the way, look for their ad for more details in Our State Magazine. It's on newsstands now. You can also find it on the shelves at Broad River Hemp Company in Shelby, but it's also uh, soon to be arriving at shelves uh, all around the state. But you can get access right now online at growershemp.com. Type in the promo code PETE and you'll get an extra 20% off. It's an awesome deal. This is high quality CBD oil, like the highest quality, but at a uh, lower cost than you will find CBD oil normally. How? Well, they control the entire process from seed all the way through the manufacturing to the shelves. Okay. So it allows them to control quality and costs from North Carolina farmers to your home, Growers Hemp, growershemp.com. It's about the hemp, not the hype. All right, so a couple of different uh, items to get to today, but I'm going to weave them all together under an umbrella of uh, the election and media, okay? So first off, Exhibit A, New York Times has a story headlined, Conservative News Sites Fuel Voter Fraud Misinformation. 
Yes, it is by a woman named, a reporter named Tiffany Shu, H-S-U. I think I pronounced that correctly. Hsu. Anyway, um, she writes, In the final stretch of the 2020 campaign, right-leaning news sites with millions of readers have published dozens of false or misleading headlines and articles that effectively back unsubstantiated claims by President Trump and his allies that mail-in ballots threaten the integrity of the election. Okay, so first sentence, lead-off sentence, I've got some issues with. First off, uh, she says that uh, these outlets have published dozens of false or misleading headlines and articles. Now, wait until Tiffany finds out uh, about the New York Times and the stories it ran about a particular P-tape and how Donald Trump is a Russian asset. Now... That aside, and that, so the hypocrisy aside here, uh, the chutzpah, if you will, um, note the language that she uses. And look, I've done this when I was a reporter. You write this way in a in a, a purposefully nebulous way uh, in order to uh, to make certain ideas take hold without specifically stating them. Okay, so what is lacking here? What's lacking in her statement about these outlets having published dozens of false or misleading headlines and articles? What's lacking is a number. We don't know how many articles. You would think she would have a guess. She just calls it dozens. We don't know how many dozens it is. Is it dozens like four dozen? Is it dozens as in like six, seven hundred? Or is it, my opinion here, is it more likely that it's two dozen? That's where I'm at. I'm thinking it's about two dozen. And she counts each one of those publications as, you know, another tally. So in other words, I've got story A, and it runs at Breitbart, it, uh, as well as Washington Examiner, Gateway Pundit, Washington Times. So four different places run story A. She counts that as four. So then you can see all you're going to need is six stories, and you're at dozens, right? You're at 24. All you need is six stories, run at four outlets, uh, and now you're at dozens. She doesn't tell us how many dozens is. So I assume, going to the, the lowest level, it's 24. Because if it was and maybe 23, maybe 22, but when you go lower than that, now you're into scores. And so you wouldn't say dozens, you would say scores. Um, and so generally speaking, that's like because I come out of that world, I will tell you, usually they throw words like dozens on there when they don't want to have to do the math. They don't want to count it, but they want to convey the idea that there's a lot. OK, it's dozens could be 24. And we don't know how she's keeping track. First of all, second of all, false or misleading headlines and articles. So what has she done there? The universe here that she's talking about now becomes not just false, which I would suspect everybody would agree that you should not be running false headlines or articles, right? We should all agree on that. You should not be doing that, number one. But that's, but she categorizes false or misleading as something she examines. So now what is misleading? Is it something that doesn't have the, quote, context that you would prefer it have? Well, if that's the case, then I could say the same thing about almost every single story and headline that the New York Times runs. Look, I mean, the New York Times is part of an industry that has been doing clickbait before the internet even existed. 
So spare me this outrage at digital media operations that are doing your business model. This is your business model. There's a reason why the phrase, you know, above the fold means something. It's a really, quote, important story as, you know, judged by the people that own the paper and run the newsroom, right? They think this is a really important story. So we're going to put it front page above the fold and it's going to have a blaring headline and we're going to pay little kids to stand out on street corners, waving the newspaper, uh, telling everybody to read all about it, right? That was your business model. So don't tell me that this is somehow unique to the Washington Examiner, Breitbart News, Gateway Pundit, Washington Times. She says, these are among the sites that have posted articles with headlines giving weight to the conspiracy theory that voter fraud is rampant. Okay, first off, it's just a theory. Tiffany, it's just a theory. It's not a conspiracy theory per se. Now, sometimes there could be conspiracies involved, I guess, such as a ballot harvesting operation. Ballot harvesting is illegal in every single state but California, uh, and so that would not be allowed. So if you are running a ballot harvesting operation like McRae Dallas is alleged to have done in the North Carolina 9th Congressional District race in 2016, well, then uh, you would be part that would be a conspiracy right he had a bunch of people they were all involved that's not a theory right it it in fact happened okay so it's not a conspiracy theory but she calls it that that voter fraud is rampant and could swing the election to the left a theory that has been repeatedly debunked by data this is once again the tried and true argument that vote fraud doesn't occur and we go over this usually every single time this topic comes up. Number one, they will tell you it doesn't happen. And then when you could point to examples of when it actually does happen, that it does happen, they then say, well, okay, fine, but it, it, you know, it doesn't happen enough to matter. Okay, so it's just really small. It's a tiny percentage. Okay, so then you show them uh, examples of how it actually did matter. And actually, North Carolina had a case within the last couple of years uh, where there was some mayor in some small town um, and the race was tied. And so they flipped a coin. And you see stories like this after every single election. It happens someplace in America where you've got a race that tied. And when it ties, they have some really weird kind of way to settle it, you know, like with a arm wrestling or <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. That's only in that Skittles village. Um, but no, you have some sort of like drawing of cards, drawing of straws, whatever. So do you think vote fraud could have impacted that race? Well, of course it could have. It's a tied race. One vote would have made the difference there. So then they say, oh, well, okay, fine. But, you know, there, it doesn't happen a lot. So even if there's one, one case, one race that gets flipped because of it, it's not widespread. And you ask them, well, how do you know it's not widespread? And the answer is usually because there's very few prosecutions, right? Very few times people get caught doing this. So there are no prosecutions. Well, that doesesn't tell the story. First off, a lot of uh, the boards of elections aren't even looking for this stuff. Right. The only way that they find out this sort of thing, it's not like there's an interstate compact where, uh, uh, you know, a voter up in New York can come down to North Carolina and vote here and they're going to catch that. They're not going to catch that. In fact, the the head of the New York Elections Board said that in a story about yet another. There was a North Carolina state lawmaker candidate. I uh, forget her name. She's running for office here. And uh, somebody voted in her name up in New York. And she says it wasn't her. 
So I don't even know how they caught it. But it, it, there's nothing to stop that from occurring. And there's no way of cross-checking. This, like, there was like this interstate cross-check program, but it was all voluntary. And Democrats fought uh, states joining this compact to allow them to share each other's uh, voter rolls so they would know, are there people voting in multiple states? Because there isn't any way to know this. And the guy in New York, the head of the election system up there for Suffolk County, where I'm originally from, he said it's basically the honor system. Which always then leads me to my final point on this topic, and then I'll let it rest here, which is, when did it happen? What was the day where was there some sort of proclamation that was uh, issued that said, from henceforth, we shall not engage in this kind of skullduggery? From now on, everyone's going to play by the rules. No one's going to try to vote twice, even though with the consolidation of political power in Washington, D.C., it's becoming ever more important to vote and politics is consuming every aspect of our lives. As government gets bigger, voting becomes more important because now people feel like everything in their lives is tied to the vote. Look around you right now. What do you think this is all a product of? right? Interventionist government. People who want it to be bigger and do more now need control of the government. Because if the other side gets it, then they're afraid of what the other side is going to do with that kind of awesome power, right? So do you think that somebody who believes that literally life and death depends on them winning this election, do you think they're not going to be inspired to maybe cut some corners? Maybe cast an extra vote for my mom. She's not going to vote, so I'll just do it for her. I know her address and everything, and that's fine. You're not allowed to compare signatures and that sort of thing. So when did this happen? When did everybody just say, you know what, we're not going to commit vote fraud anymore? It didn't happen. We just are supposed to believe it doesn't occur because nobody looks for it, and on the rare occasions when it is found, very often it's not prosecuted because it's very difficult to actually prove. But I digress. Back to the New York Times article. On September 25th, Gateway Pundit, which, by the way, full disclosure, I don't read it. I, I don't I don't trust Gateway Pundit. I'm sorry I don't. I know they're some you know they do some good work every now and again, I'm sure. I, I would know specifically because I don't read it, because a long time ago uh, I realized that the stuff they were churning out wasn't credible. And I did not feel comfortable conveying it to an audience if I couldn't vouch for its credibility. So that's my position on Gateway Pundit. You're free to have a different opinion. They posted an article headlined exclusive California man finds thousands of what appear to be unopened ballots in garbage dumpster. Workers quickly try to cover them up. We are working to verify the MC right there. That's a perfect example of why I don't trust them. You're working to verify. Well, then why are you reporting this? Why would you put this out if it's not verified? That's kind of rule number one of journalism. Despite, you know, despite the shortcomings of all of these legacy mainstream media outlets, just because they're not doing the, the, the good journalism doesn't give you license not to do good journalism. Anyway, the envelopes turned out to be empty and discarded legally in 2018. Gateway Pundit later updated the headline, but not before its original speculation had gone viral. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Is this a problem now? <laughs> because I, I mean, this is the standard with all of this stuff from you guys. New York Times, uh, Washington Post, uh, L.A. Times. Uh, I'm trying to think of the, all of the usual, all of the networks. CNN is terrible about this, right? You put forth some wildly bizarre story in a tweet it goes viral and then oh oh i gotta correct this and the correction gets like 
two likes. It gets like four retweets. Meanwhile, the other one has like, you know, 700,000 likes and uh, half a million retweets. Like this happens all the time with legacy outlets, but I'm glad to see that one reporter on staff at New York Times thinks that this might be a problem. Now, if you have a problem selling your home, then uh, get Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team to help you out. Uh, They will get your house sold quickly and for more money. But just be ready, because I say this. When I tell people, you know, give her a call, 333-4483, and then start packing. Like, I'm not kidding. That's how fast it happens. When you're trying to sell your home and you call Rowena Patton and her team, they immediately go to work. They've got buyers already lined up. And so when you say, yes, I'm, I'm ready to sell, it happens very fast, which is good. You want that to happen, but don't let it catch you off guard. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com is the website. She's the only agent that I would uh, call buying or selling. In fact, we're using her to buy our house. So uh, I, you know, my money's where my mouth is here. So uh, use Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. And then, yes, start packing. Seriously. Um, all right, so back to this piece at the New York Times she labels a couple of or lists a couple of these other outlets. Let's see. She mentions the Blaze, Right Scoop, Daily Wire. Uh, she talks about a story uh, about ballot issues found in Pennsylvania and Texas. This was another one of her, I guess, examples of the dozens of false and misleading stories. Ballot issues found in Pennsylvania, Texas. Several days after the reports, neither the Daily Wire nor the Washington Times appeared to have followed up with articles on the announcement from Pennsylvania's elections chief that the discarded ballots were a bad error by a seasonal contractor, not intentional fraud. So these outlets published stories about ballot issues in Pennsylvania and Texas and One of them was in Pennsylvania was found not to be fraud, intentional fraud, I should say, but was rather a bad error by a seasonal contractor. All right. Is that still a ballot issue? I would submit it is. And while it may not be intentional fraud, it is a kind of fraud, isn't it? All right. You threw away a bunch of ballots under the pretenses that you would deliver them. (laughs) Right. Anyway, um, that was the Pennsylvania case. And that's it. Well, here's the problem. She just mentioned Pennsylvania and Texas. Well, what happened to the Texas case? Well, she doesn't tell us how that one got resolved or whether it was. Was that false or misleading? You mentioned it, but you didn't tell us the resolution. I wonder why. In August, the New York Post published an article, she says, that relied on one anonymous source identified as a Democratic operative who claimed that he had engaged in voter fraud for decades. The Blaze, Breitbart... Daily Caller, Fox News, the Washington Examiner all posted their own versions of the article. I did this story on this on the show. It was also promoted by Donald Trump Jr. and his brother, Eric, the Trump campaign's comms team, the Fox and Friends TV program and Tucker Carlson's Fox News show, according to a recent Harvard University study. And that's it. That's it. There there's no attempt to debunk what the New York Post story was about and what it claimed they said they had they had this anonymous guy who was walking them through all of the uh, voting fraud that he had committed over decades in new jersey and if i remember correctly uh, the article uh, said that this anonymous source gave the new york post proof that this in fact was occurring and how he did it 
he showed them uh, he showed them proof. He said, obviously, I mean, he's not going to give his name because he didn't want to go to jail after admitting to committing all of these felonies for so long. He was a Bernie bro. And he said, you know what? I don't have a, a dog in this fight anymore. So here, yeah, this is what we've been doing. He says he's worked in all these different uh, races from, you know, local to state to uh, federal races up in New Jersey someplace. Well, the New York Times, she cites this story and how it got amplified by right wing media. But she never says what? That it, it's not been debunked, right? Why not go and try and find? Because you know you can pro- you probably could find out who this person is. If you are in New Jersey and you know poli- you know politicos and stuff in that area, if you're a New York Times reporter, I bet you'd be able to find out who the person was, because people in New Jersey politics, these Democrat circles, they know who the person is. So why not go and find the person and get them on the record or confirm it or debunk it for yourself? But she didn't even do that. All she does is just say, well, there was this story they did, and look at all these other outlets picked it up. Yeah, so there's an amplification model being developed now in the uh, conservative media world. And this is what's really upsetting to them. The Harvard researchers described a, quote, propaganda feedback loop in right-wing media. So this is interesting. So this only exists, I guess, on the right. There is no left wing propaganda feedback loop. I know right now, (laughs) I hear you right now. Everybody is sitting here listening to me say this. And then you're thinking, are you kidding me? What do you think you guys have been doing for decades here? You guys have controlled the entire information apparatus for decades. You guys get you guys get words redefined in the dictionary at a moment's notice when you need it to mean something else, right? Give me a break. This idea that, oh, those conservative people, they've, they've got a feedback loop, a propaganda feedback loop, unlike us. We just simply create lists of journalists where we, you know, talk about stories and framing and narrative uh, and, uh, and you know, try to shame reporters uh, who cover certain stories that we don't like. I mean, that's so different, don't you think? We will use our friends reporting to springboard off of and do our own follow up story on it. But we don't amplify other people's work like that. (laughs) The authors of the study, which, by the way, she does not link to in her story, published um, through the school's Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society, reported that popular news outlets rather than social media platforms were the main drivers of a disinformation campaign meant to sow doubts about the integrity of the election. By the way, uh, these are the same people that are saying Donald Trump is not going to turn over power, and they're the same people that have refused to accept the outcome of the 2016 race and want to see the Electoral College abolished, right? Uh, So we're taking what we're taking our advice from these people, (laughs) from these media folks that are amplifying those stories, not part of any kind of propaganda feedback loop. Here's her beef, right? The beef here is that her echo chamber isn't the only one anymore. And it's it's so it's a microcosm of the larger issues in our political dynamic right now, where it's not a matter of, hey, you have your opinions. I have my opinions. No, no, no. It is. Uh, I have my opinions and you have to have my opinion, too. And if you're saying something else, then I'm going to deplatform you, cancel you. You're not allowed to have that opinion. Uh, and uh, if you disagree with me, then you are uh, scum of the earth, racist, sexist 
homophobe, bigot, right? All of these, you hate poor people, old people, everybody except yourself, right? That's that's the current state of affairs in our politics. And this is her beef, is that her echo chamber doesn't get to dictate the narrative any longer, that her feedback loop isn't the only feedback loop. So that's the New York Times. Um, then you've got this, and this dovetails into the Hunter Biden story uh, and the lack of coverage that it is still not getting or getting it's still getting the lack of cover okay so it's not getting coverage <laughs> let's just say it that way it's not getting the coverage that uh it should okay it is newsworthy i've been saying this now for weeks look i don't know how much of it is true i'm right there with you all i do is read the reports i see them come in and it's like okay well let's get some verification i would love to see other news outlets examine this and get interviews with him and, and you know joe biden and hunter biden and look at the laptop and verify it i want to see all of that happen but it's not happening you know why it's not happening because it hurts joe biden this encapsulates it all npr they do a little q a you know that the, if you're a listener you send something in your subscriber to their newsletter you're like hey i got a question and then they have somebody who's like an ombudsman that answers the question for you uh and so that person who would answers the question is a woman named kelly mcbride and uh, she answers this question that was sent in by Carolyn Abbott, who said, hey, someone please explain why NPR has apparently not reported on the Joe Biden, Hunter Biden story in the last week or so that Joe did know about Hunter's business connections in Europe that Joe had previously denied having knowledge of. Um, so that was the question from Carolyn Abbott. And here is what Kelly McBride at NPR responded, quote, there are many, many red flags in that New York Post investigation. NPR media correspondent David Folkenflick detailed most of them here, and she gives a link. Intelligence officials warn that Russia has been working overtime to keep the story of Hunter Biden in the spotlight. Even if Russia can't be positively connected... <laughs> Right. Even it's just really everything is Russia. Even if Russia cannot be positively connected to this information, the story of how Trump associates Steve Bannon and Rudy Giuliani came into a copy of this computer hard drive has not been verified and seems suspect. Well, you know what, NPR, you know what you can do is you can verify it yourselves. That's how that works. Aren't you guys journalists? You're supposed to do this work. It's literally your job. You're like, well, we can't really verify where that came. Well, get, well, then get to it. Go figure it out. See, but you got to believe that there is something newsworthy about the story if it's true. See, that's the deal. Okay, you have to. You when when you get presented a story as a journalist, you're presented a story, and I would get people. They would. I still do. People like, hey, Pete, can you you know cover this? Can you look into this? The first thing you have to do is you have to assess. Okay, first off. Would this be newsworthy if true? You treat it skeptically, but if it is true, is it a story? Is it a big story? And a lot of times it's not. And so you can say, well, even if this all of this was true, it only affects like this one person. <laughs> and so it's not a newsworthy story, uh, you know, writ large. Like my ex-wife, you know, custody battle, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, that's not newsworthy. Um, even if what you're saying is true, it's, I mean... I hate it for you, but that's not newsworthy to a larger audience, um, unless you can obviously show that there is some impact on them and why they should care. Why do they have to care? Why is this news? 
Who cares? Okay, so that's the first thing you need to uh, ask yourself as a journalist. And what these people have obviously said when they've asked themselves if they've even done this explicitly, usually it's just uh, subconsciously, it's just automatically, is dismissed. They don't think it's newsworthy because they don't think it's true. They automatically believe it, it cannot be true, therefore not newsworthy. They're making the second decision when they should be making a first decision. They've got it inverted. The first question you should ask is, if this is true, is it newsworthy? Then you start the process of verification. But they've already gotten to the verification, and that then proves that it's not newsworthy. And the only verification they needed was their bias, is that it's Joe Biden. And that it came from Steve Bannon and Rudy Giuliani and Russia, Russia, Russia. That's it. That's the re- So it doesn't matter if it's true. What matters is they've already concluded it's not. Okay. Here's something also that's true is that Schaefer Smith Design can help you with your website. Whatever um, phase of development your website is in, maybe it's been around for a while and you don't get a lot of traffic. Maybe it's brand new and it doesn't seem like it's working. You can't figure it out. Schaefer Smith can help you. Great design can solve a lot of problems on websites. Professional services, corporate, small businesses, entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith can help you with graphics and photos, build an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. He does logos like mine for my show. Go to SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. So uh, the NPR um, employee, Kelly McBride, says that uh, if the story could be verified, the New York Post did no forensic work to convince consumers that the emails and photos that are the basis for their report have not been altered. Okay, so they so even so if the story could be verified, they did no forensic work to convince consumers. So the New York Post said that they they did look at the laptop, they got all of the images and what you're saying that the stuff that came from the laptop was altered ahead of time or that they're doing the altering. She says, but the biggest reason you haven't heard much on NPR about the post story is that the assertions don't amount to much. There you go. They don't amount to much. Quote, we don't want to waste our time on stories that are not really stories. And we don't want to waste the listeners and readers time on stories that are just pure distractions, said NPR's managing editor for news, Terrence Samuel, quote, and quite frankly, that's where we ended up. This was a politically driven event, and we decided to treat it that way. So they, they've already gotten to the motive. This is what I was just saying, right? This is them making the decision that it's not wor- it's not newsworthy because they already believe it's not true without doing any verification to see if it is true or not. The handful of stories NPR has produced about the New York Post investigation uh, have been limited to how Facebook and Twitter are restricting distribution of the story or how families of those seeking treatment for addiction are impacted by the portrayal of Hunter Biden's struggle. (laughs) Because it is NPR, right? Of course. So it's just built in. It's baked into the cake that this is false. And so let's do a story about how Facebook and Twitter are throttling back and blocking and banning false stories from spreading online. Oh, and also, you know, people who have loved ones facing addiction, this is really painful for them to uh, to, to find out that, you know, the, the right is using Hunter Biden's addiction to hurt his dad. Like, pay no attention to all of the mounting evidence that Joe Biden was in on these deals, right? That's not to be... That's not to be examined. <laughs> it really is. 
It really is amazing. William Jacobson, clinical professor of law at Cornell uh, Law School. You may know him as Instapundit. Yeah, uh, the godfather of, uh, of blogging. He has a piece at Newsweek, an op-ed. He says, last week, social media websites prevented users from sharing a bombshell report from the New York Post outlining how the son of Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden had personally enriched himself by connecting international interests to the Obama administration. The Post had obtained details about Hunter Biden's business dealings with a Ukrainian energy firm, as well as a library of images depicting his controversial lifestyle and substance abuse from a computer repair center in Delaware. In subsequent stories, the public learned of additional credible allegations about Hunter Biden, including that he used his family connections to arrange meetings for Chinese Communist Party officials and business associates with the Obama administration, which his father, then the vice president, actually attended. They still have not denied any of this, by the way. The the Biden campaign, Joe Biden himself, have still not denied any of the specific allegations, right? They just say, Come on, man. Russia, Russia, Russia. It's the Russians. They're 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 promoting this story. You know, if here how about this? Okay, fine. The Russians are promoting this story. Is it true? I don't care if the Russians are promoting it. If it's true, why why would I care who's promoting it? If the story is true, I don't care who knows it. Now, if it's false, then I would be with you. I would say, wow, those Russians promoting false stories. But how do we know if it's true or false? You probably need to say, hey, this is false, which he hasn't said, which is weird. (laughs) It's really weird. And he's in hiding. He's calling a full lid like they're not doing any more campaign stops before the election. He's gone into hiding. We did do an interview yesterday on uh, aired on 60 Minutes. I watched it last night, the 60 Minutes interview. He got one question on this from Nora O'Donnell. This is amazing to me how these people, like the qualifications to be a reporter nowadays, it's just, it's, the bar is very low. You know what her question was on this? To Joe Biden, it was, um, do you think this is Russian propaganda? Do you think this is the Russians? That was her one question about all of this. She she presented no actual evidence. No, she offered no facts. She didn't try to pin him on anything, get a clear answer on anything. All she did was give him a way to not answer the question while pretending it was a denial, which was and because he said, well, I'm hearing from these people, you know, they're, these these 50 former intelligence people. They wrote this letter that said, you know, it sounds like Russian disinformation. They don't know, though. Those people don't know. They wrote a letter that said, it sounds like it. We think it is. Meanwhile, you got the FBI and the DOJ. They came out and the intelligence community came out and said, yeah, no, this is not Russian disinformation. This, The laptop exists. The files exist. We actually subpoenaed them a year ago. Like, we've got this stuff. This is not the Russians. But Joe Biden says, well, you know, these guys said it was. Well, that's not a denial. But it is an answer to her question, which didn't ask him for any specifics. See, it's very convenient like that. When you know how to ask questions, you realize how poorly questions get asked. So uh, the lawyer here, William Jacobson at Cornell, a.k.a. Instapundit, um, he says 
that all of these demonstrate the very real benefit that Hunter Biden and possibly his father derived from the political access he enjoyed. As the country approaches Election Day, such corruption is important for the American voter to consider, especially as Joe Biden pursues the presidency. Unfortunately, the mainstream media don't seem to agree. Following the publication of the New York Post story, they worked overtime to insist that it could be Russian disinformation for the purposes of election meddling, a claim that the FBI and the DNI, Director of National Intelligence, have both fervently denied. Right? Big Tech took things a step further. They banned sharing the story. They blocked the accounts. New York Post is still locked out of its Twitter account. Right? Uh, the outlets, these media outlets... Uh, or sorry, the uh, big tech outlets did not even dispute the veracity of the New York Post's reporting. To this day, they don't say that it was false. No, they say that the New York Post obtained the content illegally. Okay, that's why they're censoring this from public discourse. That's why they banned the story and locked out the New York Post. It's because they uh, they got the content illegally. Okay, is that true? First off, the obligatory uh, whataboutism here, which is, what about the New York Times story on President Donald Trump's taxes? You have no problem allowing that story to run around the world. That was illegally obtained information, right? How about Melania Trump's private conversation with an employee where she was talking about, you know, uh, the way she gets treated by the media? Remember that audio recording a couple of weeks ago, right? No, no, no. That's allowed to be promoted all over Facebook. That's allowed to... Uh, be amplified in the, uh, what what did the Harvard people call it? The propaganda uh, feedback loop, right? Uh, So what is actually the law, though, about the laptop? Well, good thing William Jacobson is a clinical professor of law at Cornell. Quote, never mind that Hunter Biden's refusal to pick up his laptop after repair transferred legal ownership to the computer store, making it the proprietor's own property to do with as he saw fit. The notion that social media outlets like Facebook and Twitter suddenly cared about the legality of the origin of information is laughable. So, law guy says, actually, no laws were broken. Hunter Biden dropped off laptop, apparently a couple of them, right? But he dropped off this laptop and then never picked it up. And the laptop or the computer store owner kept calling him and saying, hey, we got your laptop. It's done. It's done. It's done. And eventually, if you don't come and pick it up, then it becomes property of the store, which it apparently did. Now he can do whatever he wants with it because you gave up your right to it. So it's not illegally obtained information. Here's the question, though. Do you think the Biden camp knew this? How long, do, how long ago do you think they may have known this? I'm going to come back to that in a minute. First, let me tell you about Old Grouch's military surplus. Colder weather is coming here in the mountains. Well, actually, all over the place. Uh, it's going to be here soon. You want to be prepared. So get yourself some uh, military-grade thermal underwear. Get yourself some wool sweaters, military field jackets. These are in solid green and camouflage. Wool and fleece toboggans, socks, Gore-Tex jackets. 
all at Old Grouch's Military Surplus, and you're going to get it a lot cheaper than you would find at a lot of outdoor stores as well. So if you work outside or you're a hunter, this is the time. Go get yourself some uh, great gear at great prices at Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Had some friends come in from out of town uh, last week, and they made a stop at Old Grouch's. Thank you very much for that. We appreciate it. But uh, they picked up... um, he was saying he got uh, some Kevlar sleeves because he does welding work and he got another pair for his son, I think he said. Um, so like the stuff that you find there, you may go in for the, you know, the Gore-Tex or the uh, the thermal underwear. You're going to find a whole bunch of stuff because Tim gets stuff, new stuff in all the time. If you're, th- by the way, if you have stuff that you want to uh, unload, you maybe you got some old military surplus, uh, take it down to Old Grouch's Military Surplus. It's in downtown Clyde on Main Street, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. It's open Monday through Saturday and 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. So uh, Instapundit, William Jacobson, he says, facts don't matter to the social media behemoths. Since their companies are non-governmental, social media platforms claim to enjoy discretion to police speech, no matter how true or valuable as they see fit. Meanwhile, the courts have ruled that for the most part, Such companies are not responsible for content that users post. These conditions have allowed social media platforms to thrive, unconstrained by legal liability, while enjoying broad latitude to suppress the speech of their users. With mounting pressure from the liberal media to silence conservative speech, social media platforms have only begun to ramp up repression. The chilling effect it has imposed on free speech, he goes on to say later, is unmistakable intimidating those who hold views they fear could result in exclusion from the social networking uh, that they use to maintain personal relationships and professional contacts. So they cower in silence, afraid of both the online mob that carries out missions for the cancel culture and the platforms that are complicit in the bully tactics. I am in this camp, by the way. I now rely on Facebook and Twitter, uh, but social media in general. I rely on these outlets these platforms to distribute this show. And I know it's going to come someday. At some point, I'm going to do a podcast and it's going to run afoul of one of their sensors and they'll take it down. They'll force me to take down either the post, the podcast, uh, or I won't get access back to my page. I'm sure that's going to happen at some point. Um, I don't know when, and I don't know how that looks, but this is the, like, this is the world that we live in that I live in now. And, uh, I mean, it's just going to depend on the situation, I assume. But at some point, like, you're going to demonetize me. And YouTube has been doing this to creators for years. You demonetize somebody, you've now jeopardized their livelihood. You've told them they can't work in the atmosphere, in the environment that you told them they could. You've changed the rules. That's what's happening. Um, There was also a, uh, where was it? What did I do with it? I think I, oh, here it is. From uh, legalinsurrection.com. Here's a theory. Obama knew that Joe Biden was tainted and this would all come out. And that's why he didn't want Joe to run and was slow to endorse him. What do you think about that? (laughs) That, That's an interesting idea. There was another one here. Um, Here's a theory from issuesandinsights.com, which is a website that was started by the team that ran uh, or did the editorials at Investors Business Daily. Um It's called issuesandinsights.com. Democrats campaigned this year for mail-in and early voting as if it were the most important issue in politics. 
which seemed like I chalked this up to uh, COVID, the pandemic, because uh, all the polls show the Democrats are way more afraid of COVID than Republicans are. Right. There is a partisan breakdown. And so uh, there's this uh, there's a lot of fear. And so if you've been drilling fear into people's brains for the last eight months, you're going to you, you know, they're not going to want to go out and vote in person. So you're going to accommodate that. So that's what I and I still do, by the way, I still believe that that that's really at the core of why they're uh, uh, driving the mail in ballots and the early voting and all of that. Um, but what about this theory? And I think there may be some truth to this, too. They wanted voters to make their selections before Biden gate arrived. Is it Biden gate? Wouldn't it be Hunter gate? I don't know. I think Hunter gate sounds better, but Biden gate, maybe. Uh, Okay. I guess that would include both of the Bidens then. Um, Well, and and this kind of makes sense. So you got Democratic affiliated voters. They've been returning their ballots at a roughly 1.4 to one ratio. So almost, so yeah, one and one and a half to one uh, over Republican affiliated voters. Democrats have returned more ballots in 32 states so far, according to NBC News. Democrats had to know that the emails would eventually surface. Hunter Biden left the laptop at that repair shop in April of 2019. (laughs) It's been there a year and a half. It was never picked up, even after the shop owner said he tried repeatedly to contact the client. That owner was subpoenaed. Did you know that he was subpoenaed to testify before the U.S. District Court in Delaware on December 9th, almost a year ago? One page of the subpoena shows what appears to be serial numbers for a laptop and hard drive taken into possession. It is unlikely that these events would go unnoticed by the Democrats. So as it became obvious that Joe Biden would be the party's presidential nominee, it is reasonable to believe the Democrats accelerated the campaign for uh, early and for early and mail-in voting so that millions of Americans would turn in their ballots before the scandal hit. That kind of makes some sense, doesn't it? That, that even checks the box for Occam's razor. It does. It even checks the box for that because it it's an obvious explanation. Yes, COVID as well. But you know that these folks must have been aware that this laptop was out there. I mean, at the very least, wouldn't Hunter Biden tell his dad, hey, not for nothing, but I, I turned a laptop over to a computer company and I never picked it up. And uh, yeah, so now like they own it and it's got all of our stuff on it. <laughs> right? Like you're telling me the Biden campaign would be unaware of this information that Hunter Biden kept it from his dad all that time, too. I'm not so sure. I am sure that if you want a great mattress at a great deal, you go to Mattress Man. I do know that. It's where I went. Christy and I went to Mattress Man like eight years ago. We got our king-size memory foam mattress. We love it. We say it's like sleeping on a marshmallow because it is. You lay down on the thing and you just like, you just kind of sink into it. All uh, all parts of your body, they're supported. So comfortable. We love it. Um, Now, maybe the memory foam isn't for you. Maybe you like the traditional inner spring mattresses. Maybe you want a hybrid. Maybe you want adjustable bases. You can get all of that at Mattress Man and... Take advantage of the triple zero deal, zero down, zero APR for 24 months, zero payments for 90 days as well. Okay. Uh, Also, uh, they have local white glove five-star delivery service. They will ship nationwide. They have a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man, buy local, and sleep better. The website, by the way, mattressmanstores.com. So uh, the Sacramento Bee Guild, it's a union. 
uh, Sacramento Bees, the newspaper out in, uh, where is it? Uh, Sacramento, I believe. And uh, they are bargaining right now. They're in their collective bargaining with McClatchy, the newspaper's owner. Why is this important? McClatchy owns the Charlotte Observer, the News and Observer, and the Durham Herald Sun, as well as uh, what the Rock Hill paper, the Rock Hill Herald, I believe, um, a bunch of others, right? It's a large newspaper group. <clears throat> so you've got this union that's negotiating, that's bargaining. The company is apparently trying to tie journalists' pay to the number of clicks that their stories get. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, okay, first off, I get it. This raises concern among reporters like, oh, my God, I got to like write for clicks now. I get it. I totally get it. As Look, I come out of radio. What do you think we were doing all the time over there? You're writing stories. You're trying to find things that get the clicks because that's what corporate measures stuff by. What's the traffic look like? What story? We had a board. We had a monitor uh, at our uh, radio station, and it had all of the web posts from all of the radio stations, and it would show you the numbers of uh, of clicks that each post is getting. And so, if you had a really you know hot post that went viral, you'd be at the top of the chart. And so, people would walk by there and look. You know, <laughs> you'd be looking to see how you're doing. And uh, so, I so all of that is to say that I get it, I understand the pressure, and I understand the concerns that are raised if you're trying to write specifically for the clicks. The company's proposal would encourage journalists, this is what the, the union says, it's going to encourage journalists to focus on sensationalism when they don't write. <laughs> right now, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Guys, really? Oh, that would prompt you to focus on sensationalism, right? Nothing about your whole business model for the last two centuries. Like that doesn't uh, encourage you to focus on sensationalism rather than quality journalism. <laughs> it, it would be tying the, the clicks to it. Uh, come on, guys. Like this is basically your business model now anyway. If you're writing the stories that are getting all of the traction, if you're working in a newsroom and your stories are constantly, you know, the exclusives, you're getting above the fold uh, 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 placement for your stories every day. Uh, or if you're, you know, you're the lead story in every newscast, like you're the star of the newsroom. You're going to get paid more money. You're going to get the better assignments. They're going to, you know, feature you more often. They're going to carve out places for you wherever they can because you're the popular person. You're the star. You're Mr. Exclusive, like Jim Carrey. So uh, don't tell me that there isn't some element of this already uh, a part of the, the business. Of course it is. But now I'm supposed to be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe the clicks are what's going to make you a sensationalist. <laughs> Yeah, it's the clicks. Well, then how do you explain that you're already doing it right now? Like the Husqvarna fall sale. It's going on right now through the end of October through the 31st. Take advantage of the big savings on gas powered and battery powered equipment. All Husqvarna products. Go take a look at the website for all of the details on the trimmers and the lawnmowers and the blowers and the chainsaws. Um, maybe you need something bigger like a riding mower, a stand-on mower. By the way, you can get the Husqvarna stand-on mowers for $1,000 lower than the manufacturer's suggested retail price now. Go to generalrents.com and get yourself pre-qualified for 0% APR for 48 months. You can also learn all about commercial fleet discounts. Go to General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. 
It's at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Family owned and operated for three generations. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. GeneralRents.com. That's GeneralRents.com. And uh, think outside your toolbox. All right. Finally, we have an update on the cheating cow scandal. Uh, Cal Cunningham on the couch, North Carolina's Democratic nominee for U.S. Senate. Cal Cunningham has moved out of his family's Raleigh home, is now living with his sister. That, according to the National File report, citing photos of Cunningham taken at his sister's house. Rumors that Cunningham was kicked out of his family home have flown since National File's Patrick Howley broke the news of his affair with the wife of a junior Army officer, Uh, earlier this month, an affair that violates military rules and has sparked an official U.S. investigation as Cunningham serves as a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army Reserves. Um, According to concerned Raleigh residents with knowledge of Cunningham's whereabouts, he last stayed overnight uh, at his home uh, on October 10th. Since then, Cunningham has been staying on Raleigh's Manning Place in a 5,800-square-foot, $1.5 million home that his sister, Catherine, purchased with her husband in 2018. Uh, on October 22nd, so that'd be about four days ago, journalist Don Carrington with the Carolina Journal captured a photograph of Cunningham exiting the garage of his sister's home uh, before quickly getting into a car that had pulled into the driveway seconds earlier. The driver of the car, who appeared to be a Cunningham campaign staffer, immediately backed out of the property and drove away with Cunningham in tow, following a pattern that has also been observed by others who have reported seeing Cunningham exit his sister's home in the early morning hours and then return much later in the day. So, again, uh, not that I take pleasure in his marital strife and his family problems or anything like that. Uh, I simply point this out because maybe media, if they're really interested in getting some comments from Cal Cunningham, uh, maybe go stake out this location. It's kind of bizarre to me that media reporters in our legacy outlets in the Raleigh area have so far been unable to get a hold of Cal Cunningham, even though they apparently now know where he is. That's a wrap for this episode. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. I appreciate that. Think about becoming a patron as well. Check out the description. All of the links are down there, the description uh, of the podcast here. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the support. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 